Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. family and uh, man today let me just warn you I'm warning you right now buckle up today is a unique day we had Dr. Tony Evans in the house and uh, now let me just I just gotta point this out I said the word had Dr. Evans had a a unique ministry what is that noise yeah yeah we don't need that we're oh yeah are you are you doing okay I'm just gonna keep going Uh, Dr. Evans had a ministry obligation come up so uh, we he has joined with us via technology today. But here's what I want to do. We get the gift of hearing him via video from last night. But what I want to do is um, I want to be able to send Dr. Evans the video of Lake Point Church honoring him for a lifetime of faithful Bible ministry. So at Lake Point Church, when a faithful Bible teacher is here, this is going to be a place where they're honored. So here's what I'm going to do. I- I'm going to introduce him and I'm, I'm going to shoot, I'm going to record y'all honoring Dr. Evans and I'm going to send it to him right after the services. So I am starting to record now, okay? Uh, when I was Lake Point family, 13 years old, um, I first heard Dr. Tony Evans at a Promise Keepers event, and it pierced my heart at the age of 13 years old. Um, six years later, when I was in college, I was like literally going up to the computer lab, uh, downloading Tony Evans sermons to put them on my MP3 player. Y'all remember those? And uh, as I was learning to preach... And then, uh, man, got here, and Dr. Tony Evans was at marriage night at Lake Point, and y'all, it was like, it was something else. And so, uh, if you are unaware, um, you are about to hear arguably the greatest preacher of our generation. 47 years of faithful ministry at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. Y'all, when somebody is in their 70s and they have spent their entire life pouring themselves out for faithful uh, Bible teaching, uh, we ought to honor them. So, Lake Point family, would you please help me give a hero's welcome to Dr. Tony Evans? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Good evening. Well, I was here for the marriage conference, and I had a wonderful time. Great invitation by Pastor Josh, and uh, and I was so excited to be there at the conference that I called him up a few weeks later and asked, you know, could I come back and preach? Well, he said, I heard you at the marriage conference, and you were okay. <laughs> but the people at Lake Point are used to hearing me. And um, I just, I have to keep things at a certain level. 
So I was a little bit, you know, disappointed and evangelically ticked off at his response. And I, I said, please, Pastor Josh, let me come back and minister. He said, for the level that our folks are used to, Evans, you're just not ready yet. I said, well, I, please, let me come back. He said, send me a CD. So I sent him a CD. And he listened to it. He says, well, you're getting better. You're moving in the right direction. But you have to understand, they're used to hearing me. And I just, you're just not ready yet. I said, give me one more chance. He said, send me one more CD. So I sent him one more CD. He listened to it. I see you working hard. I see you really want to come back. But I've just set such a standard here at Lake Point. You're just not ready. I said, I'll come for free. He said, now you're ready. So I'm delighted for the privilege to be here at Lake Point. I'm just kidding. I've deeply appreciated the life, the love, the friendship, the fellowship. He and my son, uh, who is serving with me in, in Oak Cliff, uh, uh, have connected and are comrades. And so I'm, I'm very happy to see the expanse of this ministry and its commitment to the Lord and to his word. Many, many years ago in Europe, they had a crude way of trying to determine whether an inmate in a sanitarium was cognitively prepared to leave and enter society again. And so the way in Europe that they would test to see the cognitive development of this person that had had psychological or emotional uh, struggles was to put them in a closet. They would put them in a closet, a janitor's closet. They would put a stopper in the sink, turn the water on, and let the water overflow the basin. They would give the inmate a mop and tell him to mop up the mess. The supervisor would leave for a couple of minutes and then come back in to see what progress had been made by this inmate, whether they were cognitively able to be released. If when the supervisor came in, the person was mopping, the stopper was still in the sink, and the water was still running, they knew they were not ready to go anywhere because they didn't have the capacity to get to the root of the problem. We're living in a day where there is a mess and there are a lot of mops being swung. There are a lot of attempts to clean up the mess that has now engulfed our culture. In every direction that you look in, uh, the faucet is overflowing with confusion and chaos and divisiveness and breakdown and dysphoria and on and on and on while we sling mops. We sling economic mops and social mops and political mops and racial mops all trying to clean up the mess while the stopper is still in the sink. So I would like to take my few points with Lake Point today to talk about the stopper and not the mop. We can forever be dealing with mop, but if we don't mops, but if we don't pull the stopper out, we will still be dealing with the overflow of the chaos in which we are finding ourselves. We find in 2 Chronicles 15, verses 3 through 6, a great summary of what you're seeing happen in the chaos that we face today. 
We're told in verse 5, in those times, there was no peace to him who went in or him who came out. In other words, people did not have personal peace individually or when they came back in familiarly, that is when they came back to their homes, there was chaos in themselves. So there was chaos when they came back into their homes. And of course, if you can't even get along with you, the folk who live with you are going to have a problem getting along as well. So it says there was no peace to him who came out or to him who came in. It says, for many disturbances inhabited all the inhabitants of the land. It says that nation rose up against nation and city rose up against city. So there was personal chaos, family chaos, urban chaos, and international chaos. And it says it came in all shapes, sizes, and colors because many disturbances had afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. Everybody was being affected by the chaos in the culture. But what should grab your attention is the last phrase in verse 6. Because verse 6 concludes with this phrase, For God troubled them with every kind of distress. Now, I would have thought with all of that chaos being enunciated that it would have said, For the devil troubled them with every kind of distress. But it doesn't say that the devil was the cause. It says, for God troubled them with every kind of distress. Now, if God is your problem, it doesn't matter who you elect. If God is your problem, it doesn't matter what programs you institute. If God is your problem, it doesn't matter what initiatives you fund. If God is your problem, you better get the spiritual straight so that you can get the cultural under control. What you and I are experiencing today is a case of spiritual AIDS. AIDS in its height is a breakdown of the immune system. It is where the immune system loses the ability to respond. AIDS doesn't cause death. AIDS just so weakens you that something else can do the job. We are living in a day when cultural colds have become societal pneumonia because the spiritual has been so broken down that there's nothing to repel the evil that is perpetrating itself in our lives, in our families, in our cities, and in our culture. What you and I must understand is that there is an axiomatic perspective that simply says everything visible and physical is preceded by something invisible and spiritual. So if you want to change the visible physical, you must address the invisible spiritual. Until you address the invisible spiritual, you have not dealt with the cause for the visible physical. And so he says, for God troubled them with every kind of distress. There was a spiritual cause to the personal, familial, cultural chaos that they were experiencing at that time and at this time. So you must understand that what you're seeing in America today or in your own life, what you are experiencing is the personal wrath of God. Now, in the Old Testament, there was the active wrath of God. 
That is, when God wanted to judge a situation, he would uh, in some way directly do it. Whether it was the flood, whether it was uh, Korah and the earth opening up, whether it was the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, God would directly come in and express his displeasure over the rebellion against him that was being perpetrated in the breakdown of society. With the death of Jesus Christ, God's relationship to the world shifted according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and the world was reconciled to God. So that what you and I are experiencing now is not the active wrath of God. We are experiencing the passive wrath of God. The passive wrath of God is explained to us in Romans chapter 1 verse 18 because they no longer wanted to retain the knowledge of God. Verse 24, 26, and 28 say the same thing. For God turned them over, for God turned them over, for God turned them over. In other words, God released them to life without him. The passive wrath of God is when he abandons a person or a place and lets you experience what it looks like when he is no longer in the vicinity. So what you and I are seeing today is when God has stepped back because of rejection in order to let us see what life and culture looks like when he is no longer being taken seriously. So it says that God caused every kind of distress. So until the God factor gets addressed, the personal circumstances or cultural confusion will not be addressed. So the question then is what was the cause of God creating the, the distress that was being experienced throughout the whole land? Verse 3 gives us three reasons for the conditions that God had to bring distress regarding. The first thing verse 3 says, that in those days there was no true God. It didn't say there was no God. It says there was no true God. Well, if you don't have a true God, that means you have false gods. False gods are called idols in the Bible. Idolatry is the number one sin in the Bible. It is where God is being replaced by something or someone else. The biblical definition of an idol is any noun, person, place, thing, or thought that you look to as your source. Idols in the Bible were not just things that were worshipped. They were things that were worshipped to produce a benefit to the worshiper. So whether it was Baal or Asherah, the fertility gods, they were looking to the God as a source to produce something of value to them as a worshiper. So when the Bible talks about idolatry, it's talking about something you are looking to as your point of reference for some benefit that comes comes to you because they are getting uh, the acclaim uh, of your heart, your life, your time, and your priorities. Well, today we have uh, American idols. We have idols that have become sophisticated. We have the idol of race. We have the idol of politics. We have the idol of materialism. These things have become points of identity that has taken the place of God leading 
talking to false God. And whenever God is being replaced, he's going to back away from that or those who are replacing him. When uh, some time ago, uh, when my late wife Lois asked me to go to Walmart for her, she asked me to go to Walmart for her to get some things that she needed because she wasn't going to be able to do it on this Saturday. You have to understand, I hate anything with Mart in its name. If Mart is in its name, I'm not interested. But on this particular Saturday morning, because she had some things to do, I wanted to be the first one in and the first one out of Walmart. But when I arrived, the rest of Dallas had beaten me there. The parking lot was jam-packed, and I'm trying to figure out why all these people here this early. I, I go into the store, crowds of people. I get the things. I stood in this long line, and then as I stood there, it dawned on me. This Walmart was having a store-wide sale, so everybody was getting their goods at reduced prices. Well, it dawned on me, that's our problem. Everybody wants God. They just want him on discount. As long as they can get on God on discount, they'll shop there. The moment that he comes at full price, they're going to shop elsewhere. See, we live in a culture today that wants to use God's name while skipping God's person. They want to use God's name by ignoring God's principles. They want to experience God's blessing uh, while bypassing uh, his uh, policies. And so we're living in a day when God has been put on the loop of the culture. And you know what a loop is in a, high, a city or a community. It's a highway on the periphery of the city. It's close enough to give you access, but far enough that you're not bogged with downtown city hall traffic. The way our culture wants God today is close enough to look respectable, far enough not to be bothered with. And so as a result of that, God is being dismissed or marginalized in lives, in families, in culture, in society, and therefore you are seeing the chaos we are experiencing today. There was no true God. The second thing verse 3 says is there was no teaching priest. The reason why there was no true God is because there was no teaching priest. In other words, the pulpits had failed. And a mist in the pulpit will lead to a fog in the pew. Because the word of God was no longer the standard by which decisions were to be made and truth was be de to be determined, because it was being replaced by ideologies and thoughts and worldviews that were in direct contradiction to the will and the word of God, there was no true God. There are two answers to every question, God's answer and everybody else's, and everybody else is wrong when it disagrees with God's view or whatever the subject happens to be. Whenever the king of England shows up, there is a caravan and people adjust to his presence. Whenever the king of England shows up, people adjust to the reality of him being there. The flag is up or down based on whether he's at the palace or not. 
the king of England has great recognition but absolutely no authority. They pay him homage but he makes no laws. That is the position of God today. We pay him homage. He just has absolutely no authority because he has little say so in our decision making. When I'm driving down the road, uh, some time ago I was driving down and uh, a policeman pulled on the on-ramp and when he pulled on the on-ramp, he greatly affected my driving. As he pulled on the on-ramp, my right leg went north off of the accelerator and left toward the brake because I was affected by his presence. Then I kept looking at the speedometer to make sure, looking at him uh, to make sure I was operating in sync with his presence. Three miles down the road, he peeled off. I went back to driving like I normally drive. And the reason I did that is I was no longer affected by his presence. To fear God is to be affected by his presence based on his word, is to be affected by his reality. And so the word of God had become dumbed down and no longer carried the authority that God demands that it carries in order for the God of the word to show up in the circumstances of life. If you came to me and you said, Tony Evans, my life is falling apart. What should I do? I would identify the areas in your life that are falling apart. I would find the biblical principles that address the areas in your life that are falling apart. I would give you practical steps to apply the biblical principles to the areas that are falling apart, then I would ask the Holy Spirit to bless your obedience to the word so that he would bring order to the areas that were falling apart. If you came to me and said, Tony Evans, our family is falling apart, I would find out what are the issues in your family that have broken down. I would find the biblical principles that apply to that issue. I would give you practical steps to apply those biblical principles. I would ask the Holy Spirit to bless your obedience to those steps in order to bring about harmony in your home. If you brought your church to me and said our church is in disarray, I would find out the causes or the issues that your church is facing. I would find out the biblical principles that address those issues. I would give you practical steps to apply those principles. I would ask the Holy Spirit to bless your obedience to those principles to bring harmony back into your church. Well, what do you say if your nation is falling apart? Well, what you don't do is change books because the same God who created the individual the family, the church created the government. So you don't change books. And we have a society today that's changed books and unfortunately Christians have changed books with them and God will not skip the church house to fix the White House. Until God can get his people right, he will not do anything in the culture. But we have allowed politics, whether Democrat or Republican, uh, Ezekiel 43 says, you've let your kings get too close to my throne. You've let the politics get too close to my rule. Reminds me of the story in Joshua chapter 5. Joshua's doing reconnaissance around the wall of Jericho, and all of a sudden this huge guy shows up in battle array, leading a whole army, and Joshua's mama didn't raise no dummy. He said, whose side are you on? Are you on our side to help us fight Jericho, or are you on Jericho's side to help them fight us? Whose side are you on? The captain looked at Joshua and said, I think you are confused. I am neither on your side, nor am I on their side. I'm captain of the Lord's army. I did not come to take sides. I come to take over. God is not taking sides. 
and he's not riding the backs of donkeys or elephants. He's come to set up a whole new kingdom with a constituency of kingdom representatives who understand that his authority is to rule, which means his word must reign supreme. You know, the, uh, uh, the Texas State Fair is starting and, uh, and, you know, I don't like apples. I'm not an apple guy. I don't like apples. I'm an orange banana kind of guy. That is, except at the Texas State Fair, because them are candy apples at the Texas State Fair. So I love them apples. But my, my doctor told me that uh, uh, I, what I have done in eating candy apples is I have negated the benefit of the apple for the succulence of the sugar. Because I want the sugar, I'm negating what the benefit that the apple can be. Its nutritional value is being downgraded. That is what happens in too many churches and in too many pulpits today. People take the word and dip it in human opinion and dip it in secular thinking and they wonder why the word no longer works. You know, there's a camp in Tyler called Pine Cove. Pine Cove is where I first learned to ride a horse, and I'd watched enough westerns to know what to do. I'd watch Gunsmoke, Rifleman, Bonanza. I knew what to do. I knew how to go, giddy up, high, giddy up, high. I knew what to do. But they gave me crazy horse. This horse had lost its mind. I went giddy up, high, and the horse would go two steps up and three steps back and two steps up. I called the wrangler. I said, this horse has lost its mind. This is crazy. I need another horse. He said, no, that horse needs another rider because it ain't the horse that's crazy. I said, wait a minute. I'm going giddy up, high, and the horse is not doing what he said. You can't go giddy up high while pulling back on the range. You've confused that animal. That animal doesn't know which way you want to go. So people come to church and say, ride on King Jesus while negating his word and wonder why Jesus won't show up because his word is being negated even while we have called on his name. Because they have abandoned the word and this abandonment of the authority of scripture has been the root cause of the chaos in our individual families and in our culture today. It reminds me of the humorous story of the mouse. The mouse, uh, the mouse uh, went to the to, to the farm, and he was the mouse was on the farm, and he went to the chicken, the pig, and the cow. He said to the chicken, the pig, and the cow, I "Just thought y'all might want to know, Farmer Brown just brought a mouse trap." Well, the chicken, the pig, and the cow said, that's not our problem. That's your problem. If Farmer Brown bought a mouse trap, you better be worried about that. We're not worried about no mouse trap that Farmer Brown bought. Well, the, the mouse said, I just thought you might want to know. Farmer Brown just bought a mouse trap. They said, we ain't paying attention to that. Well, Farmer Brown put the mouse trap down, and there was a snake that slithered across the mouse trap and got caught in the mouse trap. It was a poisonous snake. Farmer Brown's wife didn't know that the snake had gotten caught in the mouse trap. She walking by the mouse trap and the snake bites her and puts some poison in her. So Farmer Brown's wife is now sick from the poison of the snake that's in the mousetrap, so she's laying in the bed. So she's not feeling well, so Farmer Brown decides, I need to give her some chicken soup. So Farmer Brown goes, gets the chicken, kills the chicken, so he can make chicken soup for his wife. Then Farmer Brown's got to take care of the farm, so he's got to get some people to watch his wife, but he's got to feed them. He decides they need ham sandwiches, so he goes and gets the pig in order to provide ham, so 
so that the people watching his wife can take care of her. Unfortunately, Farmer Brown's wife dies. They have this huge funeral. A lot of people show up. Farmer Brown needs some meat to feed all these people. He goes to the cow, kills the cow in order to provide food for the, for the, for the uh, gathering at his wife's funeral. The mouse said, I tried to tell him Farmer Brown brought a mouse trap, but they're not paying attention to my word. When you don't pay attention to God's word, the repercussions spill and get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. He says, there was no teaching priest. Then he says, and there was no law. No law. In other words, everybody made up their own rules. My truth, my way. This is what I think. This is what I feel. Cancel this. Accept this. The rules were were fluid because there was no standard by which they operate. My my son Jonathan, when he was coming along, uh, it's going to be interesting tonight because uh, you know I was chaplain for the Cowboys for a long time, and then my son Jonathan played in the NFL, and then he now is chaplain for the uh, Cowboys. He took my place, and uh, and and I got a call. Would I come and speak to the New England Patriots tonight? So when I leave here, I got to go speak to the New England Patriots. But he's speaking to the Cowboys tonight, okay? So I'm speaking to the Patriots. He's speaking to the Cowboys. He said, Dad, we're going to see whose side God is really on tonight. So we'll see what happens. But when he was 11 years old, he said, Dad, come here, 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 Dad. So where? I said, I want to take you to the gym. I said, what, what? he said, come on, he's this high, 11 years old. He takes me to the gym. I said, why you bring me over? He said, I want you to see me dunk. He went, say, what? I want you to see me dunk. I said, you're this high, you're 11 years old. He says, let me show you. Took the basketball, dribbled it a few times, went up, jumped up. Whoa, he dunked the basketball. 11 years old, this high. But before you get too impressed, he got the janitor to lower it to six feet. <laughs> so a 10-foot rim is now six feet high. So what he did was he changed the standard. He lowered it and dunked and thought he was doing something. I got the janitor raised the standard and I said, Jonathan, the goal is not to make that standard lower, but for you to get taller so you can reach the standard. God sets the standard. He wants us to rise to that standard. And so there was chaos in the culture. No true God, no teaching priest, no rules. We're living in a day with no rules. The rules of marriage have changed. So it's be to redefined outside of the will of God. Personal identity has become confusing because it is redefined outside of the will of God. And in the name of sympathy, we're abandoning the truth. And you don't abandon the truth in the name of sympathy. You speak the truth in love. You love. You care. You show compassion with the truth, not without the truth. Because only the truth sets people free. So the question on the floor is, is there a solution? Well, if Christ comes back tomorrow, we don't have to worry about any of this because... He will come back, set up his kingdom, and all will be well. But what happens if he doesn't come back for another 50 or 100 or 200 years? Then you better worry about it. 
Because that's your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren that will be affected by a culture that has abandoned God. So the question is, is there a solution short of Christ coming back? Verse 4 of 2 Chronicles 15 says, In their distress, they cried out to the Lord, and he let them find him. Mm. In their distress, when stuff got bad enough, long enough, the same distress of verse 6 that God caused. In their distress, they made this radical return to the Lord. And he let them find him. In other words, God let things get bad enough, long enough until they woke up. He let things disintegrate and deteriorate until they began to see he was their only solution because he was the cause of their problem. He let things go south until they began to look up. When, when I met my late wife, Lois, um, there's this beautiful 18-year-old girl, but there was a problem. She was not responding at the rate to which I was accustomed girlfriend was responding slow so I had to help her sister out now I'm from Baltimore Maryland in Baltimore Maryland we had a we had a amusement park called the Gwyn Oaks amusement park one of the rides at the Gwyn Oak amusement park was a roller coaster for two called the wild mouse two people got on it you know it went up and down like roller coasters do but it would get to the edge and then turn real quick I said two tickets please I got two tickets. The wilder the ride got, the closer she got. <laughs> By the time the ride was over, you thought only one person got on it. <laughs> Why did I get two tickets for that ride? Because I had to create a little distress. See, because she wasn't responding like I wanted her to respond. So I, I created a situation that made her come closer. <laughs> I created a situation that made her come near. And what God does is he allows there to be disturbances in our lives and in our culture to force us to draw near, to get our undivided attention again, to draw us close again. He says, and it was in the midst of this crisis, this chaos, that they looked up to God. And it says, watch this, they returned to the Lord God. Now, that's a very important nuance. They didn't return to God. They returned to the Lord God. Now, that brings in two Hebrew words. The word God, G-O-D, is typically Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Elohim typically speaks of God's power. Elohim did this, Elohim did that. In the first chapter of the book of Genesis, that's the only Hebrew name for God that's used is Elohim. But in chapter 2, verse 4, another name is introduced. Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, as opposed to capital L, small O, small R, small D. Two different words. When there's a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is typically Yahweh, or you would say Jehovah. When it is capital L, small O, small R, small D, that is typically Adonai. Two different names for God. 
When it's all capitalized, it is Yahweh, that is his covenant name, that is his relational name. So when he's creating mankind, he says he is the Lord God. He's not only God of power, he's God of relationship. And so he wants to have a relationship with his creator. So beginning in chapter 2, verse 4, everything is Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, because he's having a relationship with Adam and then with Eve. So it shouldn't surprise us that when Satan shows up in Genesis chapter 3 to talk to Eve, he says, half God said. He leaves out the word Lord because Satan doesn't mind you recognizing God as long as there's no relationship with the Lord. So he wants, uh, God wants a relationship that recognizes his power, but you're relating to a person. And so it says when they return to the Lord God, not just the God who had the power, but the God with whom there is a relationship. And that is what revival is all about. It is establishing a relationship with our all-powerful God so that his presence can be made manifest in our midst because we are now relating to a person, not only looking for a power. And so he he says when they return to the Lord God, he let them find him. And so when you continue in chapter 15, they call a gathering. They call a meeting. They bring all the people of God together and they make a radical return to the Lord. Through our national ministry, the Urban Alternative, we're doing this across the country. We call it our three-point plan, where if we're going to see Christ be not come, this nation return, we're getting communities of churches together. And we say you do three things. The first thing you do is you assemble. Solemn assemblies in the Bible, was there was a crisis, and they stopped the normal activity and brought the people together to reinvite God into their midst. So we show them how to do that. Then you address that you speak with one voice to the issues that are biblically clear in the Bible that are affecting the culture that needs to be addressed. So you speak with one voice. Then you act. You do something that benefits Jeremiah 29, 7, the community in which you live, adopting every school. We have act of kindness cards where all the members do an act of kindness once a week to show the kingdom of God at work in the community. And people order those cards. We show them how to come together. We're trying to do that all over America to call the country back and the culture back to God. So that's what they do. They, they all come together and they recommit themselves to a covenant with God. Now, I don't have time to get into all of the idiosyncrasies of covenant, but they reestablish a link with God. And when they do, verse 15 says of 2 Chronicles 15, verse 15 says, and when they did that, God gave them rest. He turned it around, calmed things down, brought order into confusion. People say, is America beyond hope? It depends on what God's people do. Because if God's people get right, God has something to work with. But if all we are is adopting the culture and just sprinkling a little Jesus on top, then we are missing the whole point of what God has called us to do to reflect his value system in a world that he has related allowed to be in distress. So the challenge for us today is to not just gather together and be huddle, but break huddle and play ball. You know, 100,000 people aren't going to gather at the stadium tomorrow to watch 11 grown men bend over.
What they want to know is, what difference will the huddle make? Having huddled, can you now score? What are you going to do about 11 other men on the other side of the ball daring you to go public with your private conversation? They want to see what difference the huddle will make. So the challenge today is for the church to get a biblical play. That's the huddle. But then the break huddle and invade the culture and let the culture see what God looks like when God shows up in its midst through people who are committed to the great God and his word. You'll never travel in America like you traveled before 9-11. Before 9-11, you could travel pretty much freely. But terrorism has forever changed how we travel. Terrorism has forever changed uh, the issues of security that you and I now have to live with. 19 men from halfway around the world uh, invaded America and brought the most powerful nation in the history of mankind to its knees. 19 men in the name of their God came over here, shut us down, affected us economically, changed how we had to live because 19 men were so committed to their faith that they were able to bring down America and forever change how we operate. So help me do the math. If 19 men in the name of the wrong God can come over here and change the way we operate, what do you think people who love Jesus Christ in the name of the true God can do when we invade the culture for the glory of God and bring a, a change because God has been made at home? God bless Lake Point as it continues to represent the kingdom of God for the glory of God and for the impact in our culture. God bless. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church slash digital.